Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening where we continue our reflections into this very rich book, the book of Revelation, that if you were just to open it, it would almost be dizzying to try to <laughs> work through some of the, the images and the symbols. And well, what we've been about here from one day to the next over the last, well, four weeks or so, 18 programs worth it's just going through this book verse by verse because it is the only way to do it if you're going to really understand it. And even then, we're still scratching our head a little bit <laughs> because this is the nature of mystery. The nature of mystery is that which is inexhaustible, and it constantly calls you to go deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, now, I am especially excited this evening because I do have Debbie Rizal's with me. I, I know you know Debbie out there. Debbie <laughs> um, has been with me on a number of occasions reflecting into uh, the scriptures that we hear from Mass on Sunday. Well, as we've diverted from that programming a little bit to focus in on the book of Revelation. So, Debbie, great to have you with me another evening. It is really great to be here. Thank you. Debbie, it has been uh, about a month, again, 18 programs worth, and you are my first guest to join me on the book of Revelation um, on this study. So I really am excited to have someone with me, and especially um, you, Debbie, who I know comes with some background in studying sacred scripture. But as I say that, one thing we've been trying to do is to not get lost in the theology, to take what we've been talking about theologically and apply it to our everyday life, to integrate it. So this will be, again, our task this evening, to look at some of these overarching themes and ask the question, what does this have to do with me? Right. How can this principle or, or, or that principle uh, draw me deeper into uh, my faith journey? So again, this will be our task this evening. And we are tasked to do this with chapter 8. But before we get into chapter 8, as I've said from one day to the next, I will respond to questions as they come within the stream and context of the book itself. And on occasion, I will hit the pause button to respond to a question if I feel that it is pertinent. And, and I think that is the time now because I did get, well, an observation and a question. The first observation was, Joe, can you go back to what you talked about from the outset as it relates to the word uh, revelation. So I want to do that because it is to remember that the word revelation comes from the Greek apocalypsus. Now, the Greek word was often used by ancient Jews to refer to the moment following the seven-day wedding ceremony when the bridal couple would go into what is called the hoopa, uh, the hoopa or the canopy or the bridal tent, and then the bride removed her veil uh, for the first time. And of course, at that moment was the apocalypsis. At that moment was the revelation, mindful that the word apocalypsis literally translates as unveiling. Now, what does that have to do with the larger scope of this book? Well, <laughs> just as the bride revealed herself for who she was in all of her nakedness before man and God, so is the final book of the New Testament, Debbie, an ultimate unveiling, if you will, the moment when the Lord of the universe reveals himself to his bride, the church. Now, what is so exciting for you and I 
as Christians and as Catholics, is that overarching truth that comes before us each and every day, that we have an opportunity to enter into this bridal union with our Lord Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. And is this not a rich image? Think about this for a second. The apocalypsis, the revelation, the unveiling, is the moment when the bride reveals herself to her groom. And you and I both know that more than just a veil is being lifted on the wedding night, but two become one. And this is the reality that is before us as Christians and Catholics and why the Eucharist is the source and summit of our faith, because two become one. And this is what the book of Revelation explores, because as I've said on more than one occasion, in the end, this book is about the Mass, where two become one. And so, relevant to any treatment on the book of Revelation, because if we're going to understand this for what it is, we have to get behind the verses a little bit and appreciate how this would have been received in the first century. I'm so glad to be here, and I am so happy that you are doing these programs because the book of Revelation is one of those books that, and you said it beautifully, you know, folks can kind of go, well, that one doesn't really relate to me. That's mm-hmm. future stuff. And and it almost makes me teary because I think, oh, oh boy, you're missing such a gem. Mm. The imagery here is beyond beautiful. And, you know, open yourselves up, folks, for some real treasure because mm-hmm. that's what's buried here yeah. uh, in Revelation for for all of us. It, it's a gift. Amen. So here we are reflecting into the word apocalypsus, a word that not only speaks to unveiling, but an unveiling that takes place on the seventh day. Right. Now, I did receive a question, what is the significance of the number seven? And I touched upon it before, but it would be important to engage it once again. You know, we hear it so often said that the number seven is uh, the perfect number Mm -hmm. in Jewish life and thought, okay, that's all fine and well true, but why? That's the question. Why? And uh, there's an answer to that question, because if you go back into Genesis, if you go back into the first book of the Bible, you see a very important exchange between Abraham and Abimelech. And what you have there is an exchange between seven ewe lambs, and they bind themselves together in this covenant ceremony. And so you have, really for the first time, Debbie, the significance of the number seven play itself out. Certainly we have the story of creation in seven days, and now you have the exchange of seven new lambs where there is a covenant being made. Now, this takes place in Be'er Shavah, okay, which when you translate the Hebrew, it literally means to seven oneself. So to seven oneself. So if you're going to enter into a covenant with another, the number seven is going to be involved. This is a part of divine revelation. So this is why all throughout the Old Testament, you see the number seven pop up, because it was a reflection of how God was entering into covenant relationship with man. And consequently, the same reason why we see the number seven everywhere in the book of Revelation. Mm -hmm. If it's not the seven letters to the churches and, and the seven seals that we are uh, talking about, we'll be talking about the seventh today. It's the seven trumpets, right? The, right. the seven angels. Right. Seven is everywhere. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because it is a, a symbol that signifies a deeper reality, and that deeper reality is covenant life with God. I think there's a tendency today to kind of distance ourselves from this kind of conversation because it can lapse into 
an overemphasis on numbers, but we have to appreciate how in sacred scripture numbers are to be understood. Uh, we already talked about this in relationship to the 144,000, the 12 times 12 times 1,000, and what that meant. It, numbers are very important, especially when you start getting into the Hebrew and Greek. So, yeah, the number seven is the number that represents perfection in Jewish life and thought, and there's a reason why. It's because it signifies covenant harmony with God, covenant relationship with God, and this can never be undervalued. Um, We're talking covenant not in exchange of goods, not a contract, but in uh, becoming family. Mm -hmm. We're becoming the family of God. Amen. Amen. And so seven represents that covenantal relationship, but more importantly, it establishes our family bond yes. with God. So it's it, uh, it's an important differentiation between a contract and a covenant. Yes. Not the exchange of things, but the exchange of persons. Not this right. is yours and this is mine, but I am yours and you are mine. This right. kind of mutual reciprocity, this, this gift of self, right? What we are talking about is the very life of God. It is to always remember that when you talk about the Trinity, you're talking about love given, love received, and love shared, right? So there's this mutual self-gift, and this is covenant life with God. And so going back to the book of Revelation on all of this, Debbie, if this is about the Mass, which we have explored and will continue to explore, that makes perfect sense because the Mass is about covenant relationship with God. And certainly this is a book that is dressed up in many images and symbols and whatnot, but it is to never lose sight that while sometimes it feels like you're working through a cryptogram, mm-hmm. there's so much more. There's so much more. And, and so with that, Debbie, why don't we jump into chapter 8, verse 1. You know, after the first six seals released horsemen who bring earthquakes and, and falling stars and, and wars and, and destruction, we get a seventh seal now. And what does it bring silence. Mm -hmm. Silence. Now, that's interesting, given what we've been talking about over the past few weeks. So why don't you go ahead and read the first five verses of chapter 8. When he broke open the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw that the seven angels who stood before God were given seven trumpets. Another angel came and stood at the altar holding a gold censer. He was given a great quantity of incense to offer, along with the prayers of all the holy ones, on the gold altar that was before the throne. The smoke of the incense, along with the prayers of the holy ones, went up before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with burning coals from the altar, and hurled it down to the earth. There were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Amen. Off the top, I just wanted to make a a couple of quick points, Debbie, and then I know we wanted to talk about silence. Peter Williamson makes a point here that I I think is very important to what we were just talking about. He says, these verses recalls the words of Zechariah regarding Mm -hmm. God's coming to reestablish Zion in order to dwell there with his people, right? What does Mm -hmm. Zechariah chapter 2 verse 17 say? Silence all people in the presence of the Lord who stirs forth from his holy dwelling. So one of the points we've been making from one day to the next here, Debbie, is how the book of Revelation is caught up with so many of these great prophetic teachings. And yes, they are being fulfilled 
in Jesus Christ, but we are also made to see how they continue to be fulfilled in the Mass. Silence all people in the presence of the Lord who stirs forth from his holy dwelling. God wishes to dwell with us. Of course, in the Eucharist, this is what he does. Now, the half hour represents the Jewish rite of offering incense, and so you can begin to just appreciate what Christ is not only fulfilling, but at once perfecting and transforming, that we might share in this. Such a, an important point as we continue to work through these verses. And so how do we share in this? This silence, this half hour of silence. You know, if we're talking about the Mass, Debbie, how important is it for us to talk about preparing our hearts for Mass? Right. Going before our Lord for a good 30 minutes. Yeah, you heard me right. 30 minutes of silent prayer. For some of us, this might seem daunting, Debbie. 30 minutes. But ask yourself the question, how many minutes do we spend in a way that doesn't give glory to God and ultimately is nothing but idle time? God wants us to focus in on the importance of time. Right. I like to draw out when you think about how many minutes in our day, there's 1,440 minutes in a day. Wow. That's a lot of minutes yeah. in one day, right? Yeah, yeah. And if we sleep roughly 440 minutes away, which is what, seven hours approximately, mm -hmm. we have 1,000 minutes in a day. Can we not give 30 minutes? A and that is in a day. What I'm talking about right, right now is 30 minutes in one week. So we have to, we could say, rediscover Debbie, early Christianity, and I'm not talking about the early church fathers, I'm talking about arriving to Mass early, okay? Mm -hmm. That if we're going to enter into, as we ought, the source and summit of our faith in the Eucharist, then we need to prepare our hearts in silence. I've been reading this little book by Michael Scanlon, T-O-R, Appointment with God, and he, it's a beautiful little succinct book, and one of the chapters is um, dedicated to silent praise. And Father Scanlon says, we should begin, be beginning our time of prayer with praising a silent praising God. Mm. So it puts us in the right disposition, the right relationship with God, that we stand before him just grateful, mm -hmm. just grateful, and that we're doing that silently. Silence is worship of God. It, it struck me. He just, he talks about Revelation 7, and we just read that. Praise and glory, wisdom and thanksgiving, honor, power, and might to our God forever and ever. Amen. What the angels are worshiping should be our prayer as we get ready for Mass. Mm -hmm. Something fantastic is about to happen, and um, preparing our hearts, oh, so important. Think about the biggest moments in your life and how you prepared for those moments. Right. Think of your wedding day. Yeah. What were you doing right before the wedding? Were you not preparing your hearts? Were you not reflecting into the gift that you were about to receive and the sacrament itself and your spouse? Were you not reflecting in silence? Sure you were. Mm -hmm. At least most of us were. Mm -hmm. huh? And this is what is going on during the Mass, or at the very least, before Mass, right? Mm -hmm. We are called to prepare our hearts. Right. One of the great Thomistic principles, and when I say Thomistic principle, I mean a principle that comes from St. Thomas Aquinas, right? <laughs> One of the great Thomistic principles is that God will be received according to the mode of the recipient, mm -hmm. right? Disposition. Yes, and when you apply that to Mass, mm -hmm. it's everything. 
This is why St. Thomas Aquinas placed such an emphasis on disposition as relates to the Mass. If we are not disposed to receive God, then, well, how are we going to receive God? Mm -hmm. This is why I throw out um, the question, you know, how do you prepare yourself for these other great celebrations? Well, do the same with Mass. And what you'll discover on the other side of it, Debbie, and I think this is what is really quintessential for us this evening, is a new beginning mm-hmm. that is accompanied with a new joy. Yes. Right? Because you will have received as you were called to receive. If we are uh, caught up in all of the side glances and distractions that the adversary throws before us, then we will not be able to be present to who and what we are called to be present to, in this case, of course, the Mass. So this becomes widely important that we enter, as Matthew Kelly would like to say, and I love the phrase, the classroom of silence. Right, I love that. And allow the Lord to teach us what it means to be silent before God. He withdrew in the gospel 14 times. 14 times he withdrew. Why? Because he needed to re-energize the battery? Yeah, maybe, but moreover because he knew that if he was going to do the will of his Father, he needed to listen to him. As I often like to say, when you want to hear what someone has to say, you never turn up the volume. Right? Right. No, you turn down the volume, right. and you listen to what the person has to say. And this is so difficult in 2016, and maybe more difficult than it ever has been before right. because of social media right. and because uh, the easy access we have to uh, noise, uh, the iPhone. Everywhere we turn, Debbie, right. we encounter a sensory overload. So all the more we need to rekindle this sense of silence. And once again, putting this within the context of the book of Revelation and the Mass, that we might acquire that disposition to have that more personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And you know, if Jesus did it, how much more do we need to be doing this? There was a beautiful, uh, speaking of Facebook, dear friend of mine posted a beautiful article, you could probably Google it, from Father Jeremiah, who's a CFR uh, from the Franciscan Renewal, and he talks about silence, the need for silence, greater than ever before. And he had just a couple of little tiny things that I thought were beautiful. Being silent before God is a form of worship. It's like standing before God naked. And, and Joe mentioned that in the opening. It's not just to be in conversation, but just to be. Mm-hmm. Just to be. Contemplation. Just... The contemplatio. It's the gaze. Mm-hmm. It's the looking at. Right. And what's fascinating, when you break that word down, yes, it means to look at, but the, the root for contemplatio is templum, that which is sacred. So contemplatio, a looking at that which is sacred. Mm, huh? and beautiful. I think we could grab a hold of the deeper meaning of this, because in general terms, when we are falling in love or in love, Debbie, there's something very fulfilling when we are just looking at our beloved, right. nothing has to be said, but right. just looking at our beloved, there's just not only a fulfillment, but you're actually falling more in love, mm-hmm. especially when you are looking at your beloved within the, the greater context and grandeur of the glory of God. How much all the more if you are doing that with that which is perfectly sacred in Jesus mm-hmm. Christ? And of course, now I'm thinking of the Blessed Sacrament. But for all Christian denominations, to have the opportunity 
to contemplate something that is beautiful, mm-hmm. right? One of the great characteristics of contemplation is that it has an effect on the heart. Well, oh, yes. that can only take place if you're looking upon something that is beautiful. So maybe an icon. Crucifix. Yes. Before Mass. Yes. Amen. So to just enter into what you're talking about now is invaluable because you're entering into the very contemplation, if you will, of God himself. And can you imagine if all of us did that before Mass, if we just came in silence, you know, let's say you turn off the radio in the car and you start it there, you know, just being quiet and listening and you know, hopefully you've pre-read the readings because that really opens your heart to Amen. what the Mass is going Amen. to be giving you. But if we all did this and our, our hearts would be in such a place, can you imagine the beauty as we gather together as a family of God, what that prayer would be like? Mm. It would change the world. Yeah. But that has to happen. We have to have that time of purifying our heart, of, of preparing our heart so that by, that by the time we come together as family, we are ready to worship. Amen. We're there for what we're there for. If we aren't doing mass well, everything else won't make a whole lot of sense. And right. I like what you said there. Read the reading before you even get there. One of the reasons, Debbie, why you and I uh, would reflect into uh, Scripture for Sunday was because I wanted to provide an opportunity right. for people to reflect into the Word of God. And there's so many podcasts out there that are doing that now, and we'll certainly get back to that. But there's a reason why it's mm-hmm. being done, mm-hmm. that we might begin to prepare our hearts for Mass before even that half hour. Right. You know, there's a image that I wanted to um, bring out, kind of a, a nuance. It's very, very important because, mm. you know, I think as Christians, we can feel like our prayer isn't really that important. Mm. You know, it's just little old me, and how significant can my prayer really be? Yeah, We can feel insignificant in the scheme of things. And one of the beautiful things that this reading does, close your eyes and think about that angel, you know, with a great amount of incenses, great quantity of incense, and the prayers of the holy ones And then he presents that before the throne of God. Mm. He presents all that beauty, that sweet-smelling fragrance Mm -hmm. is what, Mm -hmm. you know, our prayers are to God. Amen. A sweet-smelling fragrance offered before God. And, you know, in our baptism, we are become part of the priesthood of Christ, where we offer prayers and sacrifices. Mr. Williamson, in, in the Reflection on Revelation, says, the prayers of the faithful, the prayers of Christians, has changed the trajectory of history. Mm. Okay, you think about that, you yes. guys. If you ever feel like you're not important, especially now, before this crazy election, you may be thinking, you know, how important is my prayer before this crazy election that we're getting yeah. ready to have? Very, very, very important. Every prayer is very important. Amen, Debbie. James 5:16 says the prayer of the faithful, the righteous, the fervent one is very effective. Very. Right? It, it thwarts history. It really really does. Think about so, that. So, yeah, we pray for the grace of the gift of faith. We live in that gift of faith by concretely entrusting ourselves to him and we offer up prayers. Faith-filled righteous, fervent prayers, and it changes history. It really does. Now, I know one of the questions I get asked about a lot, Debbie, 
is the prayer of the saints, that we pray to saints. But sure. one of the things that this verse highlights is that we don't pray to the saints, we take our prayers to the saints and the angels, and they take our prayers and offer them exactly. to God, right? We yes. have to remember, in Revelation chapter 8, verses 2 to 5, we have the angels taking our prayers. Well, Revelation 8, chapter 5, uh, verses 2 to 5, echo chapter 5, verse 8, which talks about the saints, right, taking our prayers up to God in incense, mm-hmm. right? And so this incense yes. becomes a powerful symbol, this this rising up. And why right. incense? Why smoke? Because, well, it goes back to the Old Testament, right? Right. <laughs> and, and, and the Holocaust of the Old Testament, the, the burnt offerings. Right. And so our very lives, as Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 3 reminds us, is to become a spiritual worship, a spiritual offering yes. unto God. Yes. And it is right that we turn to our brothers and sisters in Christ who have shown us how to do it how to live in a heroic way and say, can you present our prayers to God? We are simply going to a friend who has done it well. Who is righteous. Yes, yes, No more righteous than those in heaven. Yes, amen. And here we are talking about uh, the saints. Here we are talking about the angels. And Mm -hmm. so we go to the saints, we go to the angels. Certainly in these verses, uh, the archangels seem to be referenced, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which I think is very important. There's a reason why we we pray to the angels that they might offer up our prayers. Right. They are mediators. And for our brothers and sisters in Christ who might go to, to Timothy and say, well, there's only one mediator, mm-hmm. mediator, and that's that's Jesus Christ. You've said it. We are baptized into right. the one mediation of Christ. Right. We share in the one mediation of Christ. Paul makes that point clear in 1 Corinthians 3.5. We are co-workers right. in the building up yeah. of the kingdom of God. So it is right that we look to the saints, that we look to the angels, and we say to them, take these requests, mm-hmm. take these requests and give them to God. This takes place, Debbie. This takes place in the Mass. It is an astounding thing to me to think every time we go to Mass, what we read in the book of Revelation is coming down. Right. If we are going to understand the earthquakes, uh, the falling stars, the, the grandeur of all this imagery, we can only do so if we enter into that aforementioned classroom of silence so as to enter into the heavenly reality that has come down to earth. This is a great mystery, but this is, again, the nature of God. He says, Come and see, and I will show you the greater way. And so we enter into this greater way, mindful that we are in store for a new beginning Mm. that is always, always accompanied with a new joy. Well, I'm looking at these verses, but I'm also looking up at the clock, and I know we are (laughs) out of time, Debbie. We we hardly got through five verses. (laughs) I don't know. That's okay. As I said off the top, you know, I really wanted to make sure we... um, brought some of these terms and, and, and things that come to us in these verses down a little bit so as to, again, integrate them. I don't know if you have any closing thoughts or words. Go to Mass. It's the most miraculous <laughs> yeah. thing that will happen to you. Amen. Amen. With that, let's close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. 
If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.